This is the Cinematic Sound Radio Network, and you're listening to the flagship show with Eric Woods. Welcome back to our celebration of John Williams' 90th birthday right here on the Cinematic Sound Radio podcast. John Williams turns 90 on February 8th, 2022. This is part three of a mammoth six-part podcast series. During this part, we'll be featuring music from 1977 to 1986. Nineteen seventy seven was the year that the traditional Hollywood symphonic score would make a triumphant return. But before writing Star Wars, John Williams was hired to write music for a film that came out earlier in the year called Black Sunday, directed by John Frankenheimer. Black Sunday was a big budget thriller about an attempted terrorist strike on the Super Bowl. There's a lot to like about the film, including the spectacular climax of the movie which most of it was shot at Super Bowl X. We continue with music from Black Sunday with an excerpt from the suspenseful final moments of the chase between blimp and helicopter. Thank you. 
the finale from The Air Chase, from the film Black Sunday, released in 1977. We have now entered a time in John Williams' career where he could do no wrong. From 1977 to about 1984, John Williams composed one masterpiece after another. In May of 1977, a film opened up that would change film, filmmaking, and film music forever. George Lucas's high-energy space adventure, Star Wars. It was a colossal hit and has remained one of the highest grossing films of all time, and still remains one of the most popular franchises of all time. After meeting John Williams thanks to friend Steven Spielberg's recommendation, George Lucas showed Williams the second cut of the film. The film had a temp track and that temp track communicated to Williams that Lucas wanted something different than what had been heard in numerous sci-fi projects up to that point. Lucas didn't want electronics or concrete music. Rather, he wanted to contrast the strange worlds and creatures in the film with music from the Romantic era of classical music in the 19th century. Broad, thematic, lush, symphonic music to heighten the emotion of the film. In the LP liner notes of the original soundtrack to Star Wars, John Williams stated that the stylistic direction would first be tonal, and orchestral second, and that it all had to be acoustic and natural. He wanted thematic unity by creating leitmotifs for characters, places, and things. The first piece of music we get to hear from the score is the explosive Star Wars main title for the classic prologue title crawl. Here we hear a piece of music that would open each of the nine films released in the Skywalker saga, a theme for the first three films would be associated with Luke Skywalker, but would eventually become a melodic statement for the series as a whole.
the main title and the Rebel Blockade Runner from Star Wars, released in 1977. This score would be the first of many that John Williams would record in London with the prestigious London Symphony Orchestra. The score would also win John Williams his third Academy Award and second for Best Original Score. The same year as Star Wars, John Williams would compose music for the Steven Spielberg masterpiece, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. The music from the film is divided into two musical groups. One group is written in the romantic and total idiom. Themes are easy to recognize and are pleasing to the ears. The other part is exquisite 20th century atonal music, creating a sense of chaos, fear, and dread. The backbone of the score is the classic five-note tone used to communicate with the aliens near the end of the picture. The more romantic tonal side of the score with the five-note motif is heard during the end credits with an excerpt of When You Wish Upon a Star, which is Steven Spielberg's favorite song.
The end title, from Close Encounters of the Third Kind, released in 1977. Bringing you the very best music for film, TV, and video games, this is the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. A year later, John Williams would team up with Richard Donner and made you believe that a man could fly with his iconic score to Superman the movie. John Williams wanted to highlight the sense of fun in the film, that it didn't take itself too seriously. He felt that the film had a bit of theatrical camp to it. Williams actually wasn't Richard Donner's first choice. The job initially was supposed to go to Jerry Goldsmith, but scheduling conflicts stopped the two from re-teaming as they had worked successfully together on The Omen in 1976. One of the best stories to come out of the making of this score was from Richard Donner and his experience of being in the recording studio, getting ready to hear the main title for the very first time. After hearing the performance of the Superman main title, Donner felt that Williams had literally said the word Superman in the music. The take was messed up when Donner ran out onto the scoring stage yelling, Genius! Genius! Fantastic! Personally, this main title sequence still remains one of, if not the greatest opening titles to any film in the history of motion pictures.
the main title theme from Superman the Movie, released in 1978. Even though Steven Spielberg had had enough, John Williams returned to familiar territory and scored the sequel to Jaws, simply called Jaws 2 in 1978, and provided the film with a score that some have even said tops the original. Much like Williams would do with subsequent sequels in his career, he took what he did in the original and expanded on those ideas while integrating more brilliant original material. And to think, this sequel score to Jaws 2 is even more complex, harsher, and more violent than his Oscar-winning score in 1975. The best example of this is during the terrifying water skiing sequence, where the shark chases down a doomed water skier. The boat pulling the skier is then attacked by the shark. The driver and boat meet their end when a flare gun is fired and ignites a gas tank, which blows up the boat. Water Skier, and Fire on Board, from Jaws 2, released in 1978. We're still in 1978, and John Williams would team up with director Brian De Palma on the film The Fury, 
an imaginative adaptation of John Ferris's novel about two young people, Jillian and Robin, who have met only through telepathy. John Williams' score is influenced by the late great Bernard Herrmann, and Williams's waltz-like main theme is evident of that. One of the major highlights from the score is Visions on the Stairs, underscoring Jillian's first full-fledged view of Robin and his plight. It's an explosive cue with superb variations on Williams's main theme material. The track that we're actually going to play for you comes from the superior re-recording of the score, which took place in London shortly before the Superman sessions. For some unknown reason, the London Symphony Orchestra was freed up for two days, so John Williams took advantage of this, rearranged his music to the Fury, and re-recorded it with Eric Tomlinson at the mixing console. The result is a significant upgrade in sonics compared to the original recording done in California.
Visions on the Stairs, from the 1978 film The Fury. On the air and streaming on the web since 1996, this is the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. In 1979, Steven Spielberg would unleash his big-budget, over-the-top World War II comedy 1941 on the world. Williams was in fine form, providing the film with one of his finest marches.
That was Wild Bill Kelso and Kelso in Barstow from 1941, released in 1979. That same year, Williams provided the score to John Badham's retelling of Dracula, starring Frank Langella as the Vampire Count. When spotting the film, Williams confessed that he had never seen a Dracula film before, which had Badham noted was a delight to hear, since Williams would be able to come up with his own interpretation of what music for Dracula would sound like without the influences of other scores interfering in the writing process. Williams' score is a gothic, romantic, and haunting score, highlighted by this dramatic finale cue. was Dracula's Death from Dracula, released in 1979. 
One year later, John Williams would return to a galaxy far, far away with one of the greatest film scores ever written for Irvin Kirshner's The Empire Strikes Back. Nearly two hours of music was written for this film, and on top of the returning themes from the first film, John Williams would introduce several new themes in the Star Wars musical lexicon. As Williams pointed out in the liner notes of the original LP release of the score, quote, these themes would mesh with the original and sound like part of an organic whole, something different, something new, but an extension of what already existed. So, in the creation of new themes and the handling of the original material, the task, both in concept and instrumentation, was one of extending something that I had written three years before. I had to look back while at the same time, begin again and extend." End quote. The new thematic material included a new romantic theme for Han Solo and the Princess, Yoda, the Jedi Master, Lando Calrissian and Cloud City, the droids, Boba Fett, and Darth Vader. Three of those themes, Yoda's theme, the Imperial March, and Han Solo and the Princess would be weaved together into the end credits of the film, creating the single greatest end credit suite of all time.
the end credits from The Empire Strikes Back, released in 1980. That year, John Williams would also become the new conductor of the Boston Pops when the great Arthur Fiedler, the Boston Pops conductor for 50 years, died in the summer of 1979. John Williams would stand as principal conductor of the BPO until stepping down in 1993. In 1981, John Williams and Steven Spielberg would work together again and produce not only one of the greatest films of all time, but one of the greatest film scores of all time, the film Raiders of the Lost Ark. The film follows fedora-wearing adventurer archaeologist Indiana Jones in a race against time to stop the Nazis from acquiring the Ark of the Covenant. As Lucas Kendall pointed out in the liner notes of the DCC release of this score, quote, Raiders of the Lost Ark is one of John Williams' most popular, energetic works, featuring a collection of memorable cues and instantly recognizable themes, which greatly enhance the on-screen moments. From the chimes as Marion blows smoke in Tot's face, to the Raiders' march as Indy boards a Nazi sub, to the swashbuckling excitement of the desert chase. Raiders of the Lost Ark still remains, to this day, a fan favorite.
the Raiders March from 1981's Raiders of the Lost Ark. That same year, John Williams would score a film that I'm sure most would rather forget, Heartbeeps, starring Andy Kaufman and Bernadette Peters as robots who had been stored at a factory awaiting repairs and decide to do some exploring one night. Soon, they are followed by a law-enforcing robot called the Crime Buster, who John Williams supplied with a fantastic and menacing pop-styled half-synthetic, half-orchestral march.
the Crime Buster theme from Heartbeeps, released in 1981. You're listening to the flagship show on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network with your host, Eric Woods. was another fruitful year. John Williams would score two films and supply another with an original song. Yes, Giorgio would receive a song from John Williams called If We Were In Love with lyrics by Alan and Marilyn Bergman. original score for the film was composed by Michael J. Lewis. The first film score that John Williams wrote was E.T. the Extraterrestrial for Steven Spielberg. Williams would win his fourth Academy Award for this music, which contains one of his all-time most cherished themes. I mean, everyone remembers Elliot flying across the moon on his bike with E.T. in his basket as Williams helps give the bike some more lift with his magical score. Here is the spectacular end credit suite featuring a piano rendition of Williams's theme along with a frenetic playing of the chase music, which then ends with a gentle performance of E.T.'s theme on Lone Trumpet.
the end credits from E.T. the Extraterrestrial, released in 1982. The other score John Williams wrote in 1982 was the much-forgotten Monsignor. The film was a dog starring Christopher Reeve as a priest who went in service during World War II, mows down a squad of Nazis. Instead of being punished for his sins, he is sent to the Vatican under the watchful eye of one of its cardinals. The film bombed. Williams' score was also unjustifiably panned as well. It was even nominated for a Razzie Award for Worst Score, and so was Butterfly and The Thing by Ennio Morricone. Anyway, Monsignor was a wonderful, lyrical score, which included an adaptation of Williams' own Esplanade Overture concert work, which was never recorded, but premiered a year later in 1983 with the Boston Pops. This track, The Meeting in Sicily, would be the preliminary version of what would eventually become the Esplanade Overture.
the meeting in Sicily from 1982's Monsignor. In 1983, John Williams would complete the final chapter of the Star Wars trilogy with Return of the Jedi. As Williams did on The Empire Strikes Back, he brought back the themes from the first two films and crafted brand new melodies for this film, specifically including a sweeping new brother and sister theme for Luke and Leia, a tuba-led theme for the vile gangster Jabba the Hutt, a sinister theme for the Emperor, and a playful tribal theme for the Ewoks. And in 1997, John Williams would revisit Return of the Jedi to complete a new finale for the special edition presentation of the film. In Return of the Jedi, and after saving Han from the clutches of Jabba the Hutt and rendezvousing with the fleet to hear about the construction of a new and more powerful Death Star, the Rebels mass a major offensive and attack the Death Star on two fronts, in space and on the forest moon of Endor, where the shield generator for the Death Star is located. As the battle begins, John Williams composes some of the most thrilling music for the entire series, and at times must write music for three connecting sequences at once, the space battle, Luke's lightsaber fight with Vader on the Death Star, and the battle on Endor. Halfway through the battle, the Rebels begin to push forward on Endor with the help of their Ewok alliance. This cue, the Ewok battle, underscores a series of amusing events which start with Chewie and his Ewok pals taking over an ATST walker. Then, an Ewok lassos a speeder biker who wraps himself around a tree and explodes. There's also a rope which is tied across two trees, which proceeds to clothesline a speeder biker. Then the Ewoks throw heavy boulders onto stormtroopers below. Then two gigantic logs swing from trees and crush an enemy walker. And finally, a walker stumbles onto rolling logs, topples over, and explodes. It's an absolute riot.
That was the Ewok battle from Return of the Jedi. Little did we know that this wouldn't be the last time we would hear new Star Wars music from the Maestro, but we'll save that for another day. This is the Cinematic Sound Radio Network, and you're listening to The Flagship Show with Eric Woods. In 1984, John Williams would team up again with Steven Spielberg for the sequel to Raiders of the Lost Ark called Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, a much darker, serious second adventure which takes Indy to India where he must fight the evil thuggy cult and retrieve a magical stone and the village children who are being used as slaves by the thuggies, led by the evil Molaram. The score is outstanding, one of the greatest action-adventure scores of all time, and introduces us to numerous new themes, including one for Pencott Palace, one for Molaram himself, a new romantic theme for Indy and Willie Scott, a superb adventure theme for Indy's sidekick Short Round, and The Showstopper, a propulsive march for the slave children as Indy, Willie, and Shorty single-handedly liberate the children and return them to their families.
That was the Slave Children's Crusade from Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, released in 1984. After Temple of Doom, Williams teamed with the Reavers, the Cowboys, and Cinderella Liberty director Mark Rydell for the last time. This new film, called The River, examined the hardships of an American farmer, played by Mel Gibson. The film also stars Sissy Spacek. Williams supplied the film with a touching score that, along with Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, received an Academy Award nomination.
the main theme from The River from 1984. One other piece was actually written in 1984, and it's arguably one of the most recognized pieces of John Williams' music of all time, which is still being used by NBC during their Olympic coverage. Of course, we're talking about the Olympic fanfare and theme, which was commissioned by the Los Angeles Olympic Organizing Committee for the 1984 Olympics. The piece was premiered by the Boston Pops on June 12, 1984, and was performed again on July 27th by the Hollywood Bowl. A day later, The rest of the world would get to experience the piece as John Williams would conduct the piece himself at the opening ceremonies. John Williams had this to say about the piece to the New York Times, quote, I'm not an avid sports fan and never been to an Olympics, but from watching Olympic competition on television, I gained a feeling that I aspire to make the theme a fanfare. A wonderful thing about the Olympics is that young athletes strain their guts to find and produce their best efforts. The human spirit stretching to prove itself is also typical of what musicians attempt to achieve in a symphonic effort. It is difficult to describe how I feel about these athletes and their performances without sounding pretentious, but their struggle ennobles all of us. I hope I express that in this piece.
the Olympic fanfare and theme, written for the 23rd Olympiad in Los Angeles. In 1985, John Williams made a triumphant return to TV where Steven Spielberg helped produce an anthology series a la Twilight Zone by bringing some of the very best talent around Hollywood, including composers, to the small screen. Steven Spielberg himself directed two episodes, Ghost Train and The Mission, both scored by John Williams. And the main theme for the series was also composed by Williams, who created a rousing piece full of primitive drums, bold brass fanfares, and a sweeping string melody. the main theme from the television series Amazing Stories, written in 1985. That same year, John Williams would continue to dabble in TV, supplying music for NBC's news division. He composed four pieces to form the NBC News Suite, Fugue for Changing Times, Scherzo for Today, and The Pulse of Events, which is still being used for NBC's political program, Meet the Press. The last piece, which would become one of the most recognized news themes ever written, was dubbed the Mission Theme.
the theme from NBC's Nightly News, called The Mission Theme, composed in 1985. After a two-year hiatus from film, John Williams returned to the silver screen in 1986 with his score to the adventure film Space Camp. Unfortunately, a dark cloud hung over the film as only a few months before its premiere, the space shuttle Challenger exploded, killing its crew of seven. The film, while entertaining, was a flop. However, Williams' score stood out and remains a fan favorite mainly due to this optimistic, triumphant, and catchy cue that plays over the film's end credits. Well, that's it for part three of our six-part tribute to composer John Williams. On the next episode, we'll feature music from 1987 to 1996, including selections from The Witches of Eastwick, Empire of the Sun, Born on the Fourth of July, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Home Alone, Hook, Jurassic Park, Schindler's List, Nixon, and many more. My name's Eric Woods. Thank you very much for tuning in to the Cinematic Sound Radio Podcast. And until next time, take care wherever you are in this world, and happy listening.
Thank you for tuning in to the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. I want to thank Tim Burton for providing his voice for all the bumpers and stingers you hear throughout the show, and to David Casina for providing Cinematic Sound Radio's intro music. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please email us at cinematicsound at yahoo.com. You can find us on social media at Sound Radio on Twitter, at Cinematic Sound on Facebook, and from wherever you're listening to us today, please leave us a five-star rating and a positive review. Reviews help introduce potential new listeners to the show. While you're at it, head over to TeePublic to find yourself a Cinematic Sound Radio t-shirt and support us on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash cinematicsoundradio. And don't forget to check out Cinematic Sound Radio at cinematicsound.net.